Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. Fantastic, and you already know what I'm gonna say. Praise King Jesus because he's King Jesus. Nah, you made more noise for me. Praise him, praise him, praise him. We don't disrespect King Jesus by worshiping a man or a pastor above him. Amen? So on the count of three, you praise him with everything you have. One, two, three, go. <sighs> man, what a time. What a time. Can you guys give it up for takeover worship as well? Just honor them. So grateful for the sacrifice. Oh, Lord Jesus, come. Okay. Whew. He's in the room, he is in the room, he is in the room, amen. He is in the room, and I can't wait to take another drink. I can't wait to take another dip. I can't wait to be here again and just worship the King of kings and Lord of lords with you. This morning, we'll be continuing our year-long prophetic word coming out of Luke 12, 49, that Jesus' chief concern, the entire reason he came, was so that he could establish for himself a fire upon the earth, a bride, a body so set on blaze on him that we would be a signal flare to heaven that, Lord, if you're coming, come here. Lord, if you're going to do a work in the earth again, do it here. And that is the whole thing. So literally, we're like week 13 or 14 into this madness. And uh, I pray it's been good. I pray it's been challenging. I pray that your faith has been galvanized, that you've been strengthened and filled with the Spirit thus far. Amen? Amen. This morning, real quick before we move forward, something, uh, I just have to say something briefly, quite quick, is... Uh, at some point in time, over the last number of weeks, a phrase was used by someone from our pulpit that said, once saved, always saved. And as a pastor, as the pastor of this house that God has given to me, it is my duty, it is my diligence, and it is the, the chief concern of my life that you would not only be people of great faith, but of pure doctrine. That you would be people of great faith, but have great theology. What is theology? What is doctrine? Thoughts on God. And the best thoughts and the best theology and the best doctrine you can have are God's thoughts on himself. Not yours, not some TikTok influencer's recent revelation that has no scriptural church history backing to it whatsoever. Stay off TikTok. Needless to say, this phrase, once saved, always saved, was spoken from our stage. And I just want to take a moment to tell you that that is not true that that is not in the Bible, that is not what Jesus tells us in his word. In fact, he makes it quite clear, both in John 15 and 16, that he has told us all of these things to prevent us, to keep us from desperately pleading with us to not fall away. That there are apostles in the church, aka disciples in the church, that would go on, as we see in the book of Acts, to become apostasies. What's an apostasy? People who are apostates, and they become to believe a lesser gospel than what Jesus preached about himself. They decide that Jesus is either not good enough. His door is not wide enough. He is not who he says he is, or he's no longer worthy of worship. And Jesus doesn't just go to them and go, give me your salvation and rips it away. No, he remains while we move away. So friends, you do not lose your salvation because God takes it from you. The only path to losing one's salvation is actually a relinquishing of one's salvation in deciding with your life, I no longer 
choose to worship Jesus as he self-defines himself, especially in a day and age where everybody else is attempting to self-define themselves. There's only one worthy, one able, and one who can self-define himself, and that is the king of the universe, Lord Jesus. Does that make sense? Are we clear? Fantastic. Moving forward. This morning, this morning, we are continuing this prophetic word. So if you're taking notes, get your notes out. There are notepads in front of you. It's free for you. Take that, abuse that. Just write as hard as you can. It's going to be a good morning in church. The word the Lord gave me today for taking notes, the title of my message is, Are You Ready? Yes. Are you ready for the word of God? Yes. The title of my message is, The Oil for the Burning. The Oil for the Burning. The oil for the burning. Briefly, before we get to the scripture, I just want to tell you. Culture, church culture, especially in West Michigan and kind of the Midwest region, we treat the preaching like it's the main event. Preaching isn't the main event. In artist cultures, churches that have a lot of art going on, which I love, it's great, good expression of worship, they treat like worship segment as the main event, and, and, and truly, I'll tell you this, the worship moment isn't the main event either. The main event begins when the presence of Jesus walks in the room. He is the main event. And that needs to be the bedrock, the starting place of everything that we do on a Sunday. We're not here just to hear another great message from Pastor Matt. We're not here just to experience another deep soaking in the spirit. No, 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 we are here to experience him. In all avenues, all roads, everything that we do is to best create that environment, that atmosphere for you and I to do so. Sound good? Yes. He's the main event. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Oil for the burning. Oil for the burning. We're popping out of Revelation 1, 9 through 20. So get ready. We're going back into Revelation. If you've been with us for a while now, you know the Lord gave me a distinct word. You want to see a burning bride? Teach the last lessons of Jesus. And we'll set this place ablaze. So that's exactly what we intend to do. So we've done just that. And now we've made it all the way to the book of Revelation. So two weeks ago, we covered partial part, part, part of this. Uh, this morning, we're continuing this. Revelation 1, 9 through 20. If you're there, say I'm there. If not, we have got Kenny and Rachel holding it down in the booth. And the Sky Bible will have it. Give it up for Kenny and Rachel in the booth. We love our AV team. <laughs> Unsung heroes. All right. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Padmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergam and the... Thakatira, uh, Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me on and on turning, I saw seven golden lamps. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Praise God. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. 
I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the churches. We're going to crack that open and we're going to see what the Lord will do. Sound good? Fantastic. We're going to pray. Father God, we love you. Father, it is such an honor. It is such an honor to start Holy Weekend and just come into this place, God, of, of knowing, of knowing, of knowing, of knowing, God, despite theological lines, despite doctrinal differences, despite cultural narratives and all these things that come in between and divide the nation, your church, into denominations, God, we today, we rejoice that there are just a few times a year, God, where we are able to join in as the body and the bride globally across this world, God, from the tunnels in China to to the churches in Australia, to the churches in the UK, to the great church that's booming in Brazil, every single area, God, we get to join in a couple times a year with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we get to worship Jesus in unity, in unison, that we get to come and we get to say, this is about you. God, in a world and a culture and time and place where we have made a program for everybody, this week, God, we minister to one. We worship one. It is not the young people. It is not the old people. It is not the marrieds or the singles, God. It is Lord Jesus himself, God. So this morning, God, I just thank you for the blood of your son that was shed for us. I thank you, God, that it was the adoption papers that it was the adoption papers for our lives that we get to come in and we get to have a relationship with you, Father, because our big brother Jesus did what we could not. He defeated hell, sin, death, and the grave, God, and he rescued us and brought us back unto you. So King Jesus, I ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would be so present in this room, God, that today you would ruin us. You would ruin us, you would ruin us, you would ruin us. And I'm talking through and through, God. I'm talking burn us deep today. I'm talking take us to a place, Lord, where we are gasping for air, but it be the air that you blew into Adam's lungs when you created man, God. We would be gasping for more of the Holy Spirit. Today, Lord, take us deep. Take us out further than we've ever gone. Take us further than we're comfortable going, God. We trust you. Guide us by the hand. Take me by the hand as the preacher today, God. Take me by the hand. Walk me through this. Walk us through this. Take us where you want to take us, Lord. We love you. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' mighty and undefeated and holy risen name, a church full of faith screamed at the top of their lungs. Amen. Praise him. We're just going just to make that a culture. Just going to make that a culture. I'm going to say, praise him. You're going to do such things. It's who we are. We are, we are his people. You know, I was, I was struck with this revelation. I love this song. I love the song. I think it's a beautiful song. I will make room for you. You know the song? You know the one? Upper Room sings it way better than I do. Depends who you ask. If you ask me. Anyways, we say, the, the church says, we will make room for you. But church, I'm convicted. We... We don't make a room and we don't give him space. No, we've made a home for him. We've made a home for him. He can have a space somewhere else. He can have a room prepared for him somewhere else. We've decided, no, Lord, we're going to give you a home. Because we, God, we don't want you to leave. God is not a, a weekend visitation, deadbeat dad. No, no, no. He is the ever-present faithful father. Amen. So we made him a home. 
This morning we're continuing in Revelation and Man, I love the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is wild, and I love it to death. But here's a couple things that we've got to clear up before we go any further. You see, the book of Revelation is powerful, but it only has power to the extent of which you hold a revelation for it. I said the book of Revelation is powerful, but only to the extent of which you hold a revelation for it. Pastor Matt, what do you mean by that? Let me talk to you. The book of Revelation you see, we live in a time and place right now where we read the book of Revelation and we're like, yes, Jesus, yes, come, set the world on fire, destroy it, God. God, would you kick down the doors of the Democrats, of the liberals, and the LGBTQA minus people? God, would you come and smite our enemies? If you're new with us, clearly I affirm the Bible, not people going to get a lot less amens, but it's not my job to make you comfortable. It's to make you holy. Problem with that narrative is that the book of Revelation is not the book of Revelation of the end times. It's not. It's not. And so therefore, you cannot read it as such. You cannot hold it as such. You cannot behold it as such. You cannot have reverence for it as such. Because if you read the book of Revelation as if it's the revelation of the end times, then you will lack the revelation of who Jesus Christ truly is. And when you lack the, revel when you lack the revelation of who Jesus Christ truly is, your life will bear the fruit of that. Your life will bear the fruit of that. You see, Jesus, he didn't write this to John. He didn't give John this vision. He didn't come to him and say, write this down on a tablet. Send it to these churches. My revelation of the end of days. He said, no, no, this is a revelation of me. This is myself proclaimed, the only one who can. I hold this in my heart. This is who the Son of Man is. This is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. This is what I will do. I'm not just coming and writing to you about what will be conquered. I'm writing to you about the conqueror. I'm not just giving you a vision of what has to be done. I'm giving you a vision of who will do it. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? This is not so much about the ending of a world as it is a return of the king. Hear me this morning. If you do not hold the proper book, uh, the proper revelation of the book of Revelation, your life will bear the fruit of it. You see, for the early church, the early church, they loved the book of Revelation. When John got this vision and how he got it off this Padmos prison island as he wrote it down, I do not know what he had to swindle. I don't know how he had to do it. But if you were here two weeks ago, you know the story of how he wound up on Padmos alone on a prison oil or a prison island after being boiled alive in oil. You heard the story. And somehow he had this vision and he got it off this island and he got it to the seven churches and he got it across the world. And now you and I, some almost 2,000 years later, we have the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of the end times. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hear me today. Hear me today. Hear me today. This is a book that the early church held in such rich esteem 
It was the favorite book to gather around, but not because they had a bone to pick with Rome or because they hated China so bad or the Asian countries at the time. Like they didn't have this significant issue that was taking place that overarched and eclipsed their love for Jesus. You see, they lived at a time with Rome. They have the writings of Babylon. They've gone through what you and I have gone through. You think this, you think this transgender madness is new to the earth? No, we've seen this before. And what happened in Babylon happened in Rome, will happen in America unless the church rises up and we get a framework for the book of Revelation. And that's a return to Jesus because Jesus is returning. Preach to anybody this morning. And if you don't know, Babylon fell, Rome fell, and I want to be a church that prevents America from falling because we somehow, by the grace of God, and strong men and women who love Jesus beyond every reputation and every other idol, chose to save the soul of a nation. Well, Pastor Matt, you're getting real political about it. Yeah, I am. Because I saw a video that I chose not to play this week, even though I really wanted to. And it was in the Netherlands where there was children, children for God's sake, children who had the lights and the LED signs, who had their own youth pastor in the world. And he brought out naked men and women who have elected to cut off their body parts, to say, I am how I feel, not what God made me. Check me out in all my indecency and brokenness and perversion to children. To the church in the last 30 years, tell me how much you loved your LED boards. Tell me how much you loved your fog machines. Tell me how much you loved your five steps to a successful marriage ministry. Tell me how much you loved everything but Jesus because the world is now sick because we need Jesus. I preach to anybody this morning. I can't allow that to happen. And I need you to come with me. We can't allow this to take place. We've got to get a framework for who Jesus is. You see, for the early church, they sat around the book of Revelation and they held, they held this conviction deep inside. And they lived with such a conviction of, is this the state? Is this the condition? Is this how I want to be, how I want my marriage to be, how I want my purity to be, how I want my sexuality to be, how I want my gifts to be? Is this how I want my mouth to be, my speech and conduct to be? Is this the who I want to be when Jesus returns? And suddenly the return of Christ gave framework for how they are to live. Not just how they worship, not just how they respond to preaching, not just how they come and do church once a week on a Sunday. No, the book of Revelation gave a framework for how they are to live. But see, we live in a time and day where we have condemned hellfire and brimstone type of preachers. We're trying to cancel people who gave their lives, friends, to say, no, repent, turn around, hell is real, God is greater, and he has a plan for your life in this earth and after it, and hopefully it's not hell. Amen? But we've condemned that kind of preaching. And because we condemned that kind of preaching, we swung the pendulum the other way. And we have widened the gate that is narrow. And we've opened it up and elected to go through the wide gate. And we hope and pray that five of us out of 5,000 of us actually make it into heaven. And pastors somehow are content with that. 
can't be content with it. That messed me up. That video messed me up. The fact that the Grand Rapids Pride Center down on Lyon Street, HQ, has its own youth group listed on its website. In my city, where I'm called to see Jesus take over? Are you kidding me? Not on my watch. Not on my watch. It's the same, same fever. <laughs> it's the same fever that the early church lived with when they got this book of Revelation and they realized he is coming. Yeah. Who do I want to be? What do I want to be a part of? What is the condition of my church going to be? What is the condition of my worship going to be? What kind of state and condition will I leave Rome in? Will I leave uh, Ephesus in? Will I leave Asia in? What will I leave this condition in when it's my time to return to heaven or Jesus comes back? What will I be presenting to him? And that framed their life. You see, we've condemned hellfire and brimstone preachers. And we've gone, well, no, 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 no. We can't do fear-based worship. This isn't fear-based. The early church didn't see this as fear-based. We preach fear-based because we're worried about hurting people's feelings. I care far less about how you feel. And I care far more about you being presented pure and blameless and good and faithful servant on the last of days. That's what I care about. I love you. We can talk. You can ask me questions. I will mourn with you, cry with you, rage with you, get excited with you. I will come and celebrate with you. But above and beyond how you feel is how you are presented that matters to me. I want you, because guys, I'm going to stand before God one day, and I'm going to give an account for my life and my wife and this ministry. And if you were in this house even just one time and you decided, Matt's too much for me, okay, but at least I know that I faithfully gave the word of God to you in an attempt to make you holy. God says, be holy as what? I am holy. And today, we hear this kind of preaching and we think, well, is this where you want to be when Jesus comes back? And it's like this shudder and this fear and this shaking. And we, we, we take that saying and we take that phrase and we take that idea on as like, oh, God's going to come back. He's going to smite me. Truth be told, maybe. Because it's pretty clear in the book of Revelation and through what Jesus said in his own personal ministry that you're gonna do a, people are going to do a lot of things in my name, but they never had familiarity with me. I never knew them. Depart from me, I never knew you. That's why, we're going to get to this in a minute, but that's why your salvation is so important. That's why your holiness, your intimacy with God. And it's impossible, friends, to achieve holiness by religion. However, it is possible to receive intimacy through religion. Well, Pastor Matt, we're not supposed to like religion. No, no, that's just because you and I, again, we've got a softball version of what religion is. In West Michigan, we think of religion as this being underneath a, a pastor's uh, satanic thumb and rule of approval. That's what you think. No, no, religion is the framework. 
Religion is a framework. It is, it is the fireplace that allows the fire to burn. It is, it is what keeps it practiced. It is what keeps it safe. It is where you can put the logs, where you can put the fire, where you can stand at and be made warm at. It is the housing for the Spirit of God. You see, the reason religion can birth intimacy is because some of us, we need to get super practical with our intimacy with God, where we decide whether I feel, whether I receive, or whether he meets me there face to face in this moment. I have made a framework for my life, religion, to meet with him. Pastor Matt, you trying to redeem the word religion? I am. Because originally when the 13 colonies was birthed, the word religion actually meant to set the church on revival. Religion actually meant revive the church. Did you know that? No. Because we're in West Michigan. We've made a mess out of this word. But it's the church's word. And it was George Whitfield's best words to describe to the church what is happening. A religion is being birthed. God's people are beginning to be revived again in the 13 colonies. Slave owners are coming to know God and setting their slaves free or offering them an actual wage. So much so that the very first ever black African-American woman poet was published as a written poet because her master got saved at a George Whitfield revival and she got set free and was birthed to go and do what she was made to do as a poet. To our God is. But we live in a time and place where you're not going to hear these things outside the church because the world isn't interested in giving God any of the glory. They want only to rob him of the glory to their own idols. Y'all right? You good? You good? You getting holy? We're going. We're going. Send us, Lord. Full send. Full send. The book of Revelation was a framework for their lives. Is this, is how I am right now, is this fit, not out of fear, but out of delight, is this fit when my returning king, my returning king, my savior, my redeemer, the one who raised my life from the pits and set me at his table and he prepared me a place in the midst of my enemies just to smite all of hell with the redemptive work done in my life. When he returns, my darling of heaven, when he returns, is my condition, my speech, my conduct, my heart, my marriage, my life, my sexuality, my ideas, my mind, all of it. Is it worthy of presenting to the one who saved my life? The world will use fear to corral the sheep, but the Lord uses love to call the sheep. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? This is what the book of Revelation is about. He did not give John this revelation of himself as a means to motivate you by fear. Lord knows that never works and it never lasts. 
but to give the church, you and me, a revelation of himself so divine, so incredible that we cannot help but give him every ounce, every inch, every part of our life, every part of our marriage, every part of our mind, every part of our sexuality, every part of our identity. We cannot help but lay it at his altar and say, Lord, burn it. Lord, burn it. You see, in mornings like this, in mornings like this, I believe it's so easy in this moment. I believe God is looking for more Johns in the earth. You see, John, John faced the same things that Jesus faced in the earth. John faced them. He was rejected and he was put up to be murdered. He was put up to be embarrassed, to have an execution take place by being boiled in oil in, fart of, in, in, fart of, in front of 80,000 people. It's okay, we can have a little levity. I've been going hard. Okay, here we go, have a laugh. Pastor said fart, ooh. Here we go, I like it, I like it. Breathe. I said we were praying to Holy Spirit to take us to gasping for him, okay? Breathe. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Friends, there's a way that if you allow it, the world's rejection will actually lead to the Lord's revelation. There's a way if you allow it, like John, where the world's rejection of you will lead you to greater revelation of him. You see, John, the reason I said uh, two weeks ago that we had to view the book of Revelation through the lens of John is because John was chosen on purpose to get this revelation. If Peter was the rock of revelation of which the church would be built upon, John is the revelation of which Jesus needs to be built upon. Are you hearing me this morning? There was a reason this was given to John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. There's a reason why because Jesus, he came and he had to die, right? Jesus had to come and he had to die. He had to face, what is the word I'm looking for? Public persecution. John 2 had to face public persecution, but while Jesus was called to die and live again, John was called to be publicly persecuted, but choose to live. You see, John, he burned to such a temperature already in the Holy Spirit that no matter how hot they got the oil, this man still refused to die. He was so fully persuaded, so taken over, so given over to who Jesus is and the call of God on his life that while Jesus' mission was to die and rise again, John's call was to live. Because while Jesus had to bring us salvation, John was called to bring us this revelation because you and I, we need the framework for our lives of this King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I think it's easy in environments like this where we can live lives where we are in a series that's so prolonged like this and we're just getting behind the word and we're so excited. We start saying things that Matt's been saying. We're like, yes, 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 Lord, Lord, come burn upon me. Come burn upon me. Come burn all my soul. Set me on fire. We can be in worship environments like this and it becomes so easy to say these words. And friends, I want to point out a couple things. You see, we got some friends in the city that are a bit more, should we say, less revelatory than you and I are, perhaps. Believe the Bible a little bit differently than you and I do. Have a little different doctrine than you and I do. And they would say that you and I are a part of an emotionalism experience. 
When we come in here and we're crying and we're weeping and we're dancing and we're joyful and we're celebrating the coming of the Lord into the room, they would say we are part of an emotional experience. And to that I would say, what is wrong with emotionalism? Were you not emotional the day you got married? Were you not emotional the day your kid came into the world? Were you not emotional when the King of Kings and Lord of Lords saw you out of a crowd and called you unto himself? Were you not emotional? Friends, if there's one, if there is one under the sun and over the sun and over the earth and all the earth, if there is one to be found that is worthy of every emotion and every tear, let it be Lord Jesus. Let it be the one that saves your life, not just the one that you've tied your life to. Let it be the one who saved your life and redeemed your life, not just the life you gave birth to. Amen? Amen. It's Jesus. So I think emotionalism is good because I don't know another good and proper response when the king of the universe walks in the room. Yeah. Preaching to anybody this morning. It's who he is. So he beckons us deeper. You see, every time that we say things like, Lord, take us deeper, he responds with, move on in. See, every time we lift up God, come and burn upon me like never before. He goes, how about you respond to me like never before? God, move in a greater measure in my life. Move your life in a greater measure towards me, he says. Preaching to anybody this morning? You see, every time we ask more of God, he demands more of us. Every time we ask more of God, he demands more of us. The very presence of God demands that you and I, we take another drink, we take another dip, we go out further. It's who he is, it's who he is, it's who he is. Praise him for me. Catch my breath. Go. It's who he is. But can I tell you what's almost more important because I think in, in environments like this, when emotions are high, when the Lord is in the room, can I just say it like this? Talk is cheap in the kingdom of heaven. Talk is cheap in the kingdom of heaven. You don't get to talk the talk of the kingdom if you don't walk the walk of the kingdom. But so many Christians, we're out here saying words of fire, but living lives that have no oil. We're out here saying, proclaiming, declaring, and decreeing words of fire while living lives that hold no oil that are worthy to be burned. It's the whole point of this message is the oil that is worthy to be burned. Friends, I would say and I would caution you. I would caution you. Not that we don't speak things in faith that are not as though they are. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that perhaps what God is looking for in the earth isn't just a bride who will boldly proclaim that she wants to burn for him, but a bride that lives on the altar that heaven can send down fire to. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. We got a lot of prophetic, quote-unquote, people in the church. And how many know a few weeks ago we talked about prophecy. I love it, I love it, I love it. More prophecy, come on, love it. But sometimes, more prophecy, more problem. Because your life wants to speak the flames of the altar that your life doesn't live on. We got prophetic words in church, but I'm telling you what we need more in this hour are prophetic lives in church. Prophetic people who live on an altar, their lives proclaim before their lips have to, Lord, come and burn upon me. Come and burn upon me. Their lives 
before their lips ever have to move are in such a way that says, Lord, come burn upon me, like John's did. This kind of fire is available to all of us. This kind of oil to be burned is available to all of us. We just have to decide, friends, is our come and burn upon me speech only for Sunday worship? Or are we going to have come and burn upon me lifestyles when we're worshiping on Friday, not in the church? You see, man celebrates your speech, but God celebrates your life. Heck, man might even celebrate you losing your mind in worship like a lunatic on a Sunday, but God celebrates your life on a Friday. And that should trouble you. That should burden you. Because it's totally possible as a Christian to get the celebration of man in church on a Sunday for how you worship so undignified for the Lord. But on Friday, some of us are found worshiping ourselves in an undignified way before others. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Because Jesus, he gives his revelation to John and he starts to reveal himself. John says, I looked to hear this voice that was calling out to me and I turned around and I saw the lampstands and I saw the, sun, the stars and I saw all these things. And then all of a sudden, I saw him, the son of man, the son of God. I saw him in all of his glory. And friends, you and I, we live in a time and place where we worship the lamb of God. And I love it. For Good Friday's coming up. We got a service, 7 p.m. Easter Sunday's coming up, 10 a.m. It's going to be fuego. You want to be here. So fuego that we have got a Friday prayer meeting at 6 a.m. to jumpstart your Good Friday. Woo! We're going to burn for the lamb, baby. Problem is, Jesus in heaven right now is not ruling and reigning the same way he lived and died on that cross when he walked the earth as the lamb. We celebrate what the lamb has done, but it was the precious blood of the lamb that gave way to the ruling and reigning of the roaring lion of heaven that we see depicted in Revelation 1. That's who he is. He's the lion and the lamb. And so all of a sudden, John, John's like, and I just fell out dead. <laughs> I just fell out dead, and I love that because that's how I want all my worship experiences to be. I long for a Sunday, not every Sunday, because we've got to equip the saints, but I'm looking forward to the day when the presence of God is so thick in this warehouse that I'm about ready to come up preaching and be like, hey, good morning, smack. Just dead. Like the Lord is in this place, and Pastor Matt is not trying to mess with that at all. Sound good? It's going to be awesome. Probably a lot less hard on your ears, probably, but, and on your heart. It's going to be good. You'll get a break one day. But John goes, I fell out dead. <laughs> I turned and I saw him and I was like, out, gone. And what he saw in the revelation of Jesus, when Jesus revealed himself, he was like, I saw the whitest hair like wool, white with wisdom. I saw eyes that were burning so bright, so hot, they have got to be the crucible for the soul and hearts of men. I saw a golden sash across his chest that declared his kingship. I saw a robe dripped in blood with a tattoo on a thigh peeking out that says, Lord of Lords and King of Kings. 
I saw his feet burnished bronze like they had been refined by fire when he trampled all of hell to rescue you and me. I saw, I saw a man who when he moved his lips, it was like the sound of rushing water that declared his authority, that he has authority over every storm, real, figurative, or imagined. He can speak and it will cease. He has the roar of a voice like many waters that calls creation into order. I preach to anybody this morning. This, this is who our Jesus is. And then to top it off, he goes, and from his mouth came a sword. Not just any sword, a double-edged sword. And we know, we know, we know what the Apostle Paul proclaimed in the book of Hebrews. That the word of God is alive, it is active, and it is sharper than any double-edged blade able to pierce between bone and marrow, soul and spirit. Amen? Amen. And so he pulls the word from his mouth to separate that which is his from that which is not. That which answered the call to live and die for him and that which refused. Which is why evangelism is so important. BT-dub. Because as much as I may be disgusted and upset and grieved and burdened by the world that we live in today, Lord knows I want them in heaven. Because them in heaven means that we got him to him on earth and he was able to work out his mercy in their lives. Preach to anybody this morning. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, give us grace. Oh, God, give us grace for that which we don't deserve, but mercy from that which we do deserve. God, give us grace. Give us mercy. Amen. So John sees this Jesus, and I'm convinced, I'm convinced that if you and I saw Jesus, if we held the very revelation of Jesus that John got, if we saw the book of Revelation rightly, friends, we would never ignore Jesus. How could we? How could we? This is the man with fire in his eyes that when I lock eyes with him, he exposes me in the most for real, ferocious, while also simultaneously kindly and loving way possible where I am acutely aware of everything that is wrong with me and I am supremely aware of everything that is holy and right in him and he exchanges it. How could we ever ignore him? How could we ever go a day where we're not reading our Bible going, what is the next chapter about this man? What is the next verse about this man? Who is he? I've locked eyes with the one who has fire, whose hair is white like wolves because he has wisdom. This man, I've looked at his blood-drenched robe. And I got to know him more. Friends, if you knew this Jesus the way John did, there wouldn't be a single prayer, big or small, that you would refuse or be timid or shy to lift up in anyone's presence. 
who this Jesus is that John gets a revelation of puts me and any other judgmental person in the room to absolute shame. It silenced every other voice outside of him because he looks like that. What beauty, what majesty, how amazing is he? I want to stay and look at him for hours and I would pray to him because guess what? I know that Jesus isn't for the play play. I know that Jesus, he is able he can do exceedingly above all that I can ask, dream, or imagine because this is not shy, impotent, little carpenter, not messing with nobody, Jesus. This is the lion of heaven, the darling of heaven, the land that was shed so this could be paved way. He is the king ruling on high right now with hair that is white, with a robe dripped in blood, with feet that have trampled hell for you and me. How could I not spend time with him? How could I not be in my prayer? This revelation of Jesus, oh, we're going to look at him and we can just say, Jesus, I just need another look at you. I can go to work and I can do due diligence. I can honor my boss. I can honor my coworker. I can work hard as unto the glory of God as the Apostle Paul preaches. Why? Because that's the God who has the glory. Oh, I can work hard because I got time with him. I can work hard because I have his attention. I can come here and I can submit myself to some pretty sucky situations at work while still giving him all of the glory and not being a doormat because he, he is able to hear every prayer and every complaint about my workplace, about my boss, and he will correct me where I need to be. He is not afraid of me. And he will also interject in my workplace because he's not afraid of them. This is our Jesus. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Oh man, that Jesus, I lock eyes with him. I don't need to be on Tinder. I don't need to be on Pornhub. I don't need to go somewhere where I am being pleased and taken advantage of and all the other things that are going on. I don't need to subject myself to perverse acts. Because I've got the one who is worthy. And not only is he worthy, he promises to wash me white as snow of every other blemish. Oh, I get to come to him and he cleans me. He makes me holy. His eyes are the crucible for my heart and my soul, my spirit, my mind, my strength, and my body. I look into the eyes of this man. And I begin to live a life worthy of carrying the oil that will burn. See how this all plays back together? We want to lift up empty platitudes while the altar remains empty and void of sacrifice. God, don't let me just lift up fiery words. Let me lift up a fiery life. Don't let me lift up fiery words. Oh, the glory's gonna come. The devil's gonna split in two. Jesus is gonna get you. No. Lord, let me live a life on the altar that has the oil that can be burned. I don't want to be a man who lives and dies with words of fire, but no life to carry the oil. No life that has the oil to burn. I want to be a man who possesses the oil in this next verse that Jesus reveals to John because this is what Jesus demands. 
of his bride because this is how God has ordered his temple to be and how he has ordered his church, the bride, to be in order to be found fit and ready to be given to his son. I want to tell you this morning, you, yes, you, whoever you are, whatever you came in with, you get in Jesus, you get under the blood, you allow him to raise your life from the depths of hell and raise you to a place that's seated in heavenly places next to King Jesus as Paul preaches. You, you become Jesus' inheritance from the Father. You do. And I hear that and I go, me? What do I have? What the Father has given you, what the Father has grown in you, and what the Father has refined and sanctified you into. That's what you have to give him. That's what you have to give him. And so John, oh, I love this. It's my favorite verse. It's probably my favorite verse. It really is. I love it because I'm just a, a fanatic when it comes to history. All of a sudden, John, he's like, it's though as I was dead, but I saw the Son of Man moving between the lampstands. He was moving between the lampstands. Now, John, John was a real good Jewish boy. John was always in synagogue. John was always learning. John was hungry for God before he met Jesus and was hungrier for God after he met Jesus. Amen? How we should all be. He's hungry for him. And so all of a sudden, when he saw that, he knew exactly what was taking place in that moment. He was taken back to synagogue, and all of a sudden, he goes, Exodus 27. Exodus 27. I am seeing Exodus 27, verse 27 played out in real time. Jesus, help me. And all of a sudden, he goes back to Exodus 27. And the reason this is so important is because, friends, whether it was the Garden of Eden, God's first temple, whether it was Moses' tent of fire, the next temple, or whether it was the temples and tabernacles that God called the Israelites to build from the Israelites to David to Solomon, whatever it was to synagogues in the New Testament, whatever it was when God said, I am creating a temple for me to dwell among my people, there was always a what? In order to the temple. And then when Paul says, you, do you not know? that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that no longer does God just simply dwell in warehouses built by man, but instead he came and he lives after Jesus ascended into heaven and every man that would call upon the name of Jesus. Do you not know, man, woman, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as a temple of God, you have a divine order for your life because the bible declares glory follows order Amen. glory follows order glory follows order what is glory his person his power his fire his provision his glory is him. When the glory comes in the room, it is the tangible manifestation presence of Lord Jesus dwelling not just in his people, but upon his people. 
He is both Emmanuel, Christ with us, and Holy Spirit, Christ within us. I'm going to preach to anybody this morning. And so, friends, there is an order to your life for you to receive the most amount of glory that you can this side of heaven. And I don't mean glory. Again, we put this to rest in January. Glory is not fame. God is famous enough. The sun, the sun sings to him when you and I remain silent because we're offended at him. He doesn't need a humanly fame. Glory isn't fame. There's a reason in the Old Testament he will be famous in all the earth. There's a separate, there's a distinction. Glory isn't fame. We need to kill that dead. He's famous enough. Rocks cry out when you and I refuse to. He's famous enough. But glory follows order. His presence follows order. His fire, his power, his provision. It follows order. That means when he was telling the Israelites, hey, this much bronze, this much silver, this much gold, this many sacrifices, this many lampstands, this far back, this many cubic feet, this, that, and the other thing. When he put out this exhaustive, I said exhaustive list of what the temple required, it was because glory requires order. Glory follows order order. And so friends, if you today are feeling like, man, I'm having a hard time engaging in worship. I have a hard time getting in prayer in my personal time. I have a hard time receiving from this pastor, giving this message at this place. If you are somebody who says, I struggle with these things. I struggle to meet with Jesus, experience Jesus. Friends, there is nothing wrong with Jesus. He is in perfect order. His ordered spot and position is on the throne of heaven. So dare I say, if you are having a hard time linking up with him, he's not out of order. We are. He's not out of order. You are. You are his temple. And there is a divine design. Somebody say divine design. Now I'll say it with some authority, divine design. divine design. There is a divine design to you as the modern day temple of God in the earth that you are called to live, that you are called to be, that you are called to procreate and cultivate in this earth. You are holy ground. You are a house of worship. You are called to be the house of prayer. You are. Make my home a house of prayer. My home, as for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. That switches in the New Testament to as for me and myself, I will worship the Lord. As for me and myself, I will pray to the Lord. Amen? It's you. You're the temple. And so Jesus, showing himself as the high priest to John, he's moving between the lampstands. And that's because in Exodus 27, John would have went right back there, right back there. He would have been like, oh my gosh. This is the moment with Moses and Aaron and the boys. See, God puts a demand. He doesn't have suggestions. He has demands. Okay? He has no suggestions, no life advice. Commandments and demands. <laughs> Only order. Only order with him. And so he goes to them and he says, bless you, child. <sighs> I've always wanted to do that. I'm really looking for the Jesus, my daughter moment in my ministry, you know. Oh. But he knows, he goes to Exodus 27, and God tells Aaron and his sons, he says, you go, here's the lampstands, you go, and you bring me pure, beaten, 
olive oil for the burning, comma, continuously. A burning continuously. Exodus 27. Find it some other time. Exodus 27. Burning continuously. Pause right there. We'll get to the next verse in just a second in that. But this is what John is seeing. He is seeing Jesus as the high priest moving between the lampstands. And what is he doing? He is checking the oil of his bride. He's checking the oil of his church. He's checking the oil of Christians. He is checking the oil to see not just how full the lamp is, but the purity of the oil in it. See, he demands that he have lamps that burn continuously, but you can't just fill this lamp with any defiled and polluted oil. Come on, somebody. God demands holiness, so therefore he demands a pure oil from his bride. Friends, I want to ask you, what is the condition of your oil? Oil for the burning. What is the condition of your individualized oil? Because the condition of your individualized oil will determine the condition of our corporate oil that we bring him. You and me together, gone are the days, friends, where you can live on secondhand oil from me. Gone are the days where you can live off hand-me-down oil from pastors and leaders. You have to begin to get the oil for yourself. You have to begin to bring a pure, unadulterated, unfiltered, rich, robust, deep, pure oil. And not just that, but oil that can burn continuously. Why? Because a polluted oil will always stunt the flame of God. Polluted oil will always stunt the burning flame of God. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. The second any pollutant gets in there, because friends, sin will always try to find a way in. Friends, the enemy will always try to buddy up to you. Friends, the powers of darkness wants to kill you, and if it can't kill you, it will distract you, and if it can't distract you, it will steal from you. What will it steal from you? Your pure oil. Your pure oil. All of a sudden, when you allow just a little pornography to get in, polluted. All of a sudden, you allow, allow a little lie to slip out. And trust me, early in my sanctification, Matt McClure, chief liar, a little bit of lie gets in, polluted. All of a sudden, you're around a different audience. It's not takeover church, and you get a little sheepish about your faith, but more of a sheep of the world and not a sheep of Christ because the sheep of Christ know his voice and what declares his word. But all of a sudden, you're around friends that aren't here this morning, and you get a little sheepish about your faith, and suddenly they start asking you questions, and you go, well, I don't really know how I feel about this, and the Bible says this, but I kind of feel like, and all of a sudden, the Bible, the water table, the standard of the word of God in our lives gets lowered in the witness of men and women, and a little bit of pollution gets in, and that will stunt your burning. Because if you allow pollutant in your oil in one hour, it's not long before you allow pollutant in your oil every hour. And that brings me to this next part. Exodus 28, or 27, 28. He says, he's, he, John, he is seeing this. He is seeing this be played out right now. And he is seeing the high priest, Lord Jesus, move between the lampstands. 
checking the oil, not just checking the amount, but checking the purity of it. And he is coming through with his scissors and he is clipping the areas in our life that he has already consumed, that he has already burned, that he has already taken from us, and he is carefully making sure no ash from your life previously lived falls back and pollutes your oil again. He's a careful high priest. He's a shepherding high priest. He cares more about your sanctification, your holiness, and your salvation than you do. Amen. So he comes in and he's making sure that no ash, no remnant of the person you used to be falls back into the person he has raised to life. And then this next verse, I'll move through it quickly. This next verse, Exodus 27, he says, And Aaron and your sons, you tend to the oil. You tend to the flame. You tend to your lampstands day and night. So not only is the fire commanded and demanded to burn continuously, commanded and demanded to be pure so that it can burn continuously, but the saints, the church, the Christians are commanded to tend to their flame day and night in perpetuity. Oh, why is that? Because God knows you better than you know you. And God knows you better than the people you think know you. God knows you emphatically, every part about you. Things you've looked at and you've never spoken a word of, he knows. And he is telling you, I know that some of my church have no problem tending to their flame during the day because they wish to preserve their witness to their coworkers in their office place whom they see every day. But he knows we are sinful little bandits and that the second we're out at night, we have no problem not tending our flame in the nighttime because we're at the bar and we make an excuse and we go, guess what? I'll never see any of these people again. Who cares if my witness gets a little polluted? But that's not a life he'll burn upon. That's not a life he'll burn upon. Because your witness in the earth, first and foremost, is not to strangers, is not to family, is not even to yourself. Your witness in the earth, first and foremost, is to him. It's to him. Worship team, you can make your way. It's to him. And so all of a sudden, it is demanded, demanded of Aaron and his sons, you tend the oil day and night. Well, Pastor Matt, what do I do if my oil is already polluted? What do I do with, well, I got saved, my oil was pure, my lamp was poured out, God burned upon my life, and after season, after season, after season, I allowed a little sin, a little sin, a little sin to enter in and to begin, and suddenly I am here, and I don't have this rich, robust, deep oil pure for the bride that can burn. No, I have... I have this polluted and it's not gold, it's more brown and I've left it out on the light too long and I've not tended my oil the way I was supposed to. I've let a little ash get in, I've let a little history get in, I've let a little sin get in, I've let a little whatever get in. What do I do? You see, there's a reason that John 
goes back to Exodus 27 because what was demanded of Aaron and his sons, what was demanded of Aaron and his sons was that they would bring pure, beaten oil that could burn continuously. God's a way better author than we are. Why? Because purity matters, amount matters, beaten matters. What does beaten mean? It means you've made time. It means you have history with God. It means you have history of making oil. That means you have history of going and get of olives and pressing them. That means you have a history. The beaten is what we today call robust. When we see olive oil on the shelf and it's 100% pure, robust olive oil, that robust means it's been beaten well. It's been pressed well. It's been crushed well. A well-known, studied man knew how to press that olive in such a way and for such a time and with the right speed and the right strength upon it to get the most robust, not just pure, but flavor, richness, depth out of it. So how do you achieve pure oil again And dare I say, how do you get more pure oil as you go forward? You build a history with God. You see, Aaron and his sons, it was day and night in perpetuity. Day and night, day and night, day and night. How many times? Day and night, after each day and night. Every day and night, they stood up, they took shifts, they made sure the oil was tended to. Why? Because relationship with God demands order because His glory follows order. And once you've tasted and seen the glory of God, you are ruined for the glory, the presence, the power, the purpose, and the provision of every other lover. You're ruined. And so suddenly you will live for purity. You will live for a robust olive oil. You will live, friends, day and night in perpetuity, tending to your lampstand. Because what matters to you is when you read the book of Revelation and you go, there is a returning king who's returning for me. And he is checking my lampstand. He is checking not just my flame of which I burn, but my life and the kind of oil it possesses, the kind of oil that it carries. Build a history today with God, friends. We're gonna go into a song. What song are we going to, Amy? What's your spirit desire? On the altar, perfect. We're gonna sing that first song again. In this moment, we're just an altar kind of church, friends. Just get used to it. It's like you're always calling people up front. I am. I am. I'm calling you to abandon comfort. I'm calling you to abandon obscurity. And I am calling you to take on conviction and order. The book of Revelation doesn't bring obscurity to your faith. It brings order to your faith. You hearing me? And this morning, this is exactly what we're going to do. Would you stand? We're going to begin today, and we're going to fill oil with pure oil. If you've got polluted oil, or you want more pure oil, and you want to begin day and night tending to your flame, establishing a history with God, establishing years that you can look back on. Listen to me, friends. 
I love this sign. I love this verse. We have miracles happen here every week. We see demons get cast out. We have not raised the body, but I'm going to, I want to. Kid you not, I'm living for it, living for it. But do you know what the miracle that the Lord longs to see in the earth more than any other that will never be Instagrammed, will never be the subject of criticism by idiot talking heads on YouTube, but is the most holy, pure, and robust, and rich oil to the Lord. It is history with God. A miracle that is unseen, unheard of in our day, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years with God of stewarding, tending day and night, lampstands that men and women of old can go and give to God when they stand before Him, whether they died and met Him or He returns in our lifetime and He is looking. Either way, we're going to give an account for our oil. We're going to give an account for our lives. We're going to give account not just for the words we said, but the lives that we lived and what our lives said, not just about us, but what our lives said about Him. Is He worthy of pure, robust oil that burns continuously? Today's about starting a history with God that has oil so pure, so robust, that its burning will remain continuously and it will not be stunted, not by you, not by the one entrusted to stay up with it day and night, night and day. So this morning, as our worship team begins to sing on the altar, I'm calling you out. I'm calling you out. I'm calling you to the front. We've got a bigger rug to preserve your knees because I know that this altar today, it needs your old oil poured out on it as a sacrifice before the Lord so that He can begin to fuel you fill you again with the pure oil and you can start your history right with God. This morning I know there's tears that need to come and saturate these carpets. I know there's guilt that needs to be left. I know there's sin that needs to be confessed. I know that there are marriages that need to be restored. I know that there are sins that need to be brought here and die here. I know that there are demons in this room that need to flee. I know there is sickness that needs to be healed. I know that today there is the miracle of a life lived, not just words said, with God day and night in perpetuity, burning continuously off pure and robust oil. So come forward. They're going to sing. We're going to worship. I'm going to be down front crying my face out because I've got things I need to be delivered of as well. So come. There's no shame. This is a moment to begin to establish a history with God that He can burn upon. A trust with God that He can burn upon. This isn't hype. This is glory. This is who He is. And this is what we give our lives for. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Come forward. 
Father, I just thank you so much for this morning. God, I ask right now, Lord, that right now, Lord, you will allow the pressing to begin. Olives would be begin to be pressed right now in this moment, God, that right now a richness would come, a purity would come, a sanctifying, robust oil that can burn continuously, not just for the Lord to see, but for all to see, God, that we are your lampstands. Jesus, as you come in this morning with your prophetic scissors, God, as you begin to tend to our wicks, God, would you remove from us that which you have saved us from, God, but we have a habit of trying to reignite again. Oh, we have a habit of allowing to fall into our oil and polluting us again. Right now, there are men with secret pornography addictions that are being called to the altar. I don't care if you're with your Bible study group. I don't care if you're with people you've been lying to and, and you've been set free of porn for a long time. Today, salvation has come to this house and there's freedom. So quit lying, quit pretending, get healed, and let the Lord come and burn upon your life at the altar, man. There's women in the room who have deep hearts towards their husbands. Divorced, married, or uh, divorced, married, or estranged. And right now, God is saying, I want to burn it. I want to burn it. Give me that polluted oil of offense. Give me that polluted oil of offense. There are women in this church today who have felt overlooked in the church. Felt like they had no place in the church. But instead of having conviction to move towards your calling, you've allowed offense to pollute your oil. Come forth. This is your moment. There are men in this house whose family, as a young man, was sinned against by the church. And he carries not just the sin of his father, but the shame and offense of his father. Young man, come to the altar. Today, we get that pollution out. Right now, right now. Worship team, let's vibe on this part. And then we're going to hit the celebration at the end with the, with the big part. You know what I'm saying? Come, this is for you. If you're not on the altar, start worshiping right where you are. Atmosphere breaks chains, just as Paul and Silas in the book of Acts. Worship where you are. They have chains on them that will break off them in the presence when you begin to worship. Come on, church, let's worship. Sing it. He's worth what he's asking. Come. If you search your 